Hi everyone, it's Dina McKay and I'm back with a brand new episode of Black Tech Unplugged, the podcast that allows Blacks and tech to share their authentic stories with you, the listener. On each episode, the guest talks about how they got into tech, their work in the industry, and lessons they've learned during their journey. You can find full show notes for this episode on blacktechunplugged.com. On this episode, episode 29, I have Letitia Bird. And she is not my typical guest. She doesn't directly work in a technical role, but she is a career designer. And she helps many people in the tech industry get new positions at some of the top firms. And she also helps people get 60K raises. So I figure why not have her on the podcast and help us improve our careers? So a little about Letitia. She's a career designer, a speaker, and consultant. She is the founder and CEO of Bird Career Consulting, which is on a mission to help millennial professionals turn their dreams into careers that will allow them to live life on their own terms. Her work is centered at the intersection of career empowerment and life visioning. And she's a fellow podcaster. She hosts a weekly career advice podcast called Link Up with Letitia. And so on this episode, we talk a lot about career switches because she was once an accountant, went to recruiting, and now she is the career designer. We also talk about relationships with management and how you can improve them if need be. We also talk about the importance of LinkedIn and so much more. Now it's time to hop out of your feelings and start managing up your career. So let's get it. everyone and welcome back to a brand new episode of Black Tech Unplugged. I'm here with Letitia Bird and she is a Bird Career Consulting. Hi, how are you? I'm doing well. So for my listeners who are not familiar with you and your career consulting company, why don't you give a little intro? Yes, my company, Bird Career Consulting, is a consulting agency um, that provides uh, career development resources, and, and guidance to our clients that are seeking to identify, find, and land their dream job. What I'm passionate about is making sure that all of us, primarily people of color, are able to advance in the corporate space to get paid for what they're worth and what they bring to the table and to not settle uh, for the life that they truly deserve. So I started this company um, in 2015. And over the past four years, we have served over 800 professionals, and I've had clients that have landed at companies such as LinkedIn, Amazon, Google, Salesforce, uh, PricewaterhouseCoopers, Ernst Young, uh, Deloitte, the list <laughs> goes on. And I've had clients that have received salary increases of over uh, 60000 That is amazing. And we're going to get Thank into you. all those details. But to get started, I do want my listeners to know some background about you. So where did you grow up? And then also, where did you go to college and what did you study? So I grew up in Raleigh, North Carolina. Shout out to the 919. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I went to school for accounting. I thought that I was going to be an accountant. And I knew that ever since I was a child. Uh, clearly, that uh, did not work out for me. But my passion for numbers came from my childhood. Um, so I went to school for accounting, got my bachelor's um, in accounting from University of North Carolina at Charlotte. And I got my master's in accounting from North Carolina State University. Then I became a certified public accountant and I started my career with KPMG, uh, which is a big four public accounting firm, started right in uh, Charlotte. 
and kind of quickly realized that that was not the job for me. I got bored with it. So um, I ended up doing one more busy season and I got involved at a recruiting event at my alma mater. So because uh, the turnover is so high in public accounting, everyone kind of gets involved in campus recruiting activities. You know, you kind of want to go back to university to be an ambassador for the firm and all of that. And so I helped out at an event doing mock interviews. And it wasn't just, it wasn't a normal type of dialogue that you typically would have with the students, you know, such as the, tell me about yourself and what are your, you know, what are your career goals and tell me about a time you had to do X, Y, and Z. I mean, we were having like real life coaching (laughs) sessions. Right. And they were, you know, crying. I was crying. Some of them were sharing some really deep stories with me. The fact that they felt open enough to tell you something that made them vulnerable enough to cry is very telling. You know what I mean? Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. And so I just felt so like my heart was, I felt so fulfilled that day. And that was the moment where I knew I wanted to move into recruiting. It just felt like it was the right thing for me. And so that's what I did. And the way I fell into recruiting is a very, very cool story that I always love to share. Okay, let's Um, hear it. (laughs) I knew I wanted to work in recruiting, had some conversations internally uh, with, you know, uh, the recruiting team at Mm -hmm. uh, the company I was with. And they said, hey, you know, we love you, but if you want to do recruiting, you're going to have to move across the country and at that time, I was really nervous about leaving my little nest at home from a small town. I didn't really travel growing up. So this whole lifestyle was kind of new to me still at this point. So I said, okay, well, I'm just going to have to try to make this work in Charlotte. I was at a networking event through NABA, National Association of Black Accountants, and I met this recruiter. And I told him I wanted to work in recruiting. And he said, oh, okay, really? Well, let's meet up. So him and I went to lunch. And, you know, I shared with him my uh, interest in recruiting, asked asked him about his background. We hit it off, had a great conversation. He told me to read a book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Highly recommend. I try to reread that every year. And, you know, I asked him to be my mentor. He agreed. I read the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And by the time we met again, I told him everything that I learned from the book because I wanted him to know that one, I was serious about this mentorship and I was willing to be dedicated to, um, you know, moving into recruiting. And he, I actually started uh, applying and interviewing for some recruiting role and he actually helped me. And um, it got to the point where I said, the answer is right in front of me. I want to go and work for his firm. Why am I looking at all these other companies? So I met with him and I gave him my resume with, and I made changes to my resume based on his feedback and a cover letter. And the cover letter was addressed to his company. And he kind of laughed like, oh, I, I can't believe that you have this cover letter addressed, you know, to my company. And I said, oh no, you can laugh, but I'm serious. And I want to work for your firm and let me tell you why. So I gave him this whole spill about all the research that I've done and why I wanted to work there. I knew it was blown away, but I was so, I was just so sure about it. I really was. And at lunch, he said, you know what? Nothing's really going to open up here over the next six to 12 months. So um, let's just stay in contact. (laughs) So I walked out of that lunch feeling really defeated. 
Mm-hmm. Again, there was no job opening. I just knew, like, look, the flood gates have to open for me. Like, come on, you know? And um, right. like I said, I was feeling really defeated. And literally, so the next day, I remember I was brushing my teeth, getting ready for work, going to this job that I did not want to go to. And I said, you know what? I'm just going to give it up to God. I'm not going to worry about it anymore. I'm just going to work my ass off at my current job. And literally two hours later, he texts me and he says, hey, send me your resume. So the person that has the recruiting role that I wanted, um, actually put in her two week notice. What? Crazy. Crazy. And that's really how I got my start in recruiting. So I was doing that position as well as building my business on the side. Yeah. So there's several things I want to point out about your story so far. So the first thing is so many people, especially college students, think you go in with this major and you're going to do this and everything. Things change. <laughs> Interests right. change. We have to stop sitting around in these situations where we're not happy. Yes. We yes. need to find something that is of our interest, that makes us happy, that makes us feel like when we go to work, yes, it's still a job, but you love what you do. Yes. So that, that is the essence of why I do what I do. And it, it, it is a hard pill to swallow, to be completely honest. When you go to school for this one path and you realize that this is not what I wanted to do. And a lot of times we don't realize that until after we've gotten that degree <laughs> mm-hmm. and after we started at a company. So how crazy is it that you put this thought out there? At first it was rejected. So you thought, and then come a few <laughs> days later, here comes the world opening up to you to get, to get the chance that you wanted. Yes. Yes. You know, it, I realized that there was no going back home for me. Mm-hmm. You know, I had nothing else to fall back on. I was so determined and I believed in myself so much that I was just persistent. And it just, it just takes that one person. And that's what I will mm-hmm. tell people. You know, I know sometimes when you're looking for a job, just not sure about what it is that you want. It just takes that one person to open the door for you. But you have to make sure you're doing the work to even get close to that door. Exactly. And I want to touch on that you mentioned was your relationship with management. And I think I speak for a lot of people that can say, if you do not have a good relationship with your manager, things can go left really quick. And I do want to have you share, what are some tips or advice you have for people that don't know how to create that relationship with their manager? Man, literally all of my... Coaching clients don't have great relationships with their manager. I know for me, I was very lucky and privileged to have a mentor that turned into my boss because Mm -hmm. we had a great relationship even before, you know, before joining the organization. So if you don't have a great relationship with your manager, I actually just emailed the client. Um, One is to understand you have to learn how to manage up. Even if you have a great manager, like I had a great manager, but I still had to manage up. What do you mean by manage up? So managing up is not letting management or not letting company kind of dictate what your future should look like or what your growth Mm -hmm. should look like. You know, being aware of industry trends, 
being aware of the relationships that you need that you need to build and being aware of the knowledge that you need to gain and holding your manager accountable to helping you get there. You know, sometimes we will kind of wait for our managers or leadership to say, hey, we really think you should grow in this area. But the job market or just the industry right now is just too competitive. And if you're not ahead, then you are behind. And so you do have to do your own research. Um, so that's what I mean by that. Also with managing up, what was successful for me is setting up recurring touch points with my manager. And every week we would meet up and I had a standard outline or like a template. <laughs> like I was one of those real, I don't want to say I was crazy, but I was just so in touch with what I wanted for my, for my career. That it's not crazy. It's just organized <laughs> and detail oriented. Organized. Yeah. Organized and detail oriented. So I requested to have these meetings with him and it was like a three part thing, right? First part is this is what I'm working on. Two, mm-hmm. this is what we need to discuss. And three, here are our next steps. Uh, and so every, every week, this is what we did, you know, and then I would send him the agenda before our meeting. After our meeting, I would follow up with him with the notes that we took or that, you know, the things that we discussed. So again, that was one, not just for me to say, Hey, this is what I need, but also to make sure that he always knew what I was working on. So he was aware of how much value um, that I was bringing and adding. Um, So managing up, but the thing is, depending on who the manager is, you have to figure out what their communication styles are, what their preference styles are. You know, sometimes maybe they don't want to meet in person. Maybe they, prefer to meet over the phone, or they don't want to meet at all, try to, I don't want to say force them to meet with you, but like, it is their duty as someone Mm -hmm. that you should be learning from where you should have the opportunity to meet and and, and speak with them on a recurring basis. And for someone who does have that manager who doesn't want to meet, or doesn't want to make the time, do you have any tips or advice for the listeners regarding that situation? Yes, I would say email, put everything, put everything in email. And if they can't meet with you, they need to identify someone that can meet with you. That is, you know, a someone that you can actually learn from. But if you have a manager that does not want to meet with you, that is not willing to speak with you, like that is an issue that you need to address. And sometimes we do have to have difficult conversations at work. You know, and if you are, this is the thing, if you're working with someone that you are supposed to quote unquote look up to and learn from, and they're not willing to invest in you, if they are keeping you from doing your job well, you have to do something about it. Like you have to do something about it because what's going to happen is you're going to start to fail at work. And then guess who's going to be SOL? Guess who's going to be written up or put on a performance plan? By the time you get to that performance mm. plan and you're trying to put it on the manager, it's too late. They're going to be like, no, you didn't do what you were supposed to do. Exactly. So you really do have to be, you know, proactive. And so I would recommend meeting with that person and saying, hey, I would like for us to be on the same page. Don't make it about your, your feelings, your emotions, but make it about the work. Because X, Y, and Z is happening. It is preventing me from doing X, Y, and Z present it like it is a business case because at the end of the day they don't want to look like they're not doing their job either and if your job impacts their work which it likely does they should want to do something about it 
So I would try to set up some time to meet and kind of level set expectations. What is it that you want from me? This is what I need from you. And then from there on, already kind of being, um, already predicting what their responses are. Because sometimes you kind of know what your boss is going to say. And having some responses thought out. And then I would say from there, being proactive, being proactive, knowing what they're going to ask, knowing how they're going to react, and already thinking of ways where you can um, just mitigate any risk because that is your reputation. That is your reputation on the line. And I think that a lot of people need that mindset. I think sometimes we get in a place where we're comfortable. We're happy we have this job. We're happy we get deposit every two weeks. And we just basically settle into these positions. And I think by taking ownership of our career and knowing and understanding ourselves and where we want to go in the future, that's so important to be successful and to actually be happy with what we're doing. And so I think that the tips and advice that you gave are excellent. And another thing that you said was put something in email. I always say CYA, cover your ass, because I... Personally, when I start my career, I've had experiences where I didn't cover my ass and that came back to bite me in the ass. But I've learned just like send a simple email saying this, this is what was said in the meeting and thank you for your time. Just so there's a paper trail. I know a lot of people are probably rolling their eyes saying, why do we need you just never know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Put everything, everything in writing. Yes, everything. And I want to switch gears and talk about advocating for what you want and advocating where you want to go in the future. And so with your clients, how do you bring that attitude to the forefront and push your clients to have a self-advocacy attitude? So, you know, two things that I make sure that I work with my clients through in coaching is the first thing is getting that clarity on what it is they want out of their life, out of their career. And then the second thing is building confidence, because what I've seen happen is when I have when my clients tell me, well, I have issues with management. I said, well, have you had a conversation? Well, no, not yet. Because every time I try to talk, it's I just don't feel like it goes anywhere. So, you know, first, we really have to find our voice in the workplace. You know, I'm really passionate about advocating for women of color because. We are the most educated. We are overworked. <laughs> we mm, are underpaid. Mm. And we're the least supported. I mean, these are the facts. We are the least supported. We don't have mentors. We don't have, um, we don't have mentors. We don't have uh, those champions. Where Sponsors, you know, someone who's going to say sponsors. our name we're not in the room. That's right. Sponsor, that's the word I was looking for. You know, and so we have to speak up for ourselves and find our voice. So with that being said, in terms of self-advocacy, uh, finding your voice is important because when you walk into the room, people need to feel your presence. They need mm-hmm. to know who you are, what you do. Just because you're doing the work doesn't mean that other people know. I know sometimes it feels really uncomfortable to speak up and, and talk about the work that you're doing, but We all have seen where our white counterparts are very, very good at talking about the work that they're doing, right? Mm -hmm. We have to get comfortable with doing that as well. So one thing thing that I always recommend is creating the brag sheet. Oh, what's the brag sheet? 
Yeah, that's my favorite thing. So (laughs) something that I have all of my clients create. A brag sheet is essentially a list of all of your accomplishments um, over the years. Have it broken. You should have it broken down by position, company, title. And in that brag sheet, that includes the projects that you've worked on, but not just what you've worked on, the results that came out of that. If that can be backed by performance metrics and numbers, Yes, I feel like numbers are so important when backing up success measures. And you can guesstimate, you know, Mm -hmm. it's it's really interesting because, you know, part of my agency is resume and LinkedIn makeovers. So we have discussions, um, you know, with our clients before we start working, uh, you know, on uh, these uh, resumes and LinkedIn and we'll ask them, tell us about what you did here. Oh, that was five years ago. I just, oh, so long ago. I don't know. What were the results? Oh, I don't know. You know, I didn't get any of the performance reviews. You know, we have to take, like you said earlier, career ownership. We have to take ownership of our career. We cannot wait for someone to tell us, hey, you did a good job here on this project. You you should already know those things. And so with this brag sheet, that will just help you to Keep your accomplishments organized in one place so you can always go back and reference that. Continuously adding on to it, um, at least monthly, definitely, definitely quarterly. And if you don't know what the results of the work that you're doing is, you're not sure how to quantify it, how to measure it, that's a conversation that you should have with your team or with leadership. If you don't understand how your particular job um, impacts the overall greater good of your team and the organization, you need to have a conversation with management. Because again, these things are going to be very, very important and instrumental in your success and how you um, how you articulate your value in the workplace. So one is creating this brag sheet. That will also help with building confidence. And usually once you put this together, you may think like, Damn. Okay. I did that. Okay. I did that too. You know, <laughs> we forget. We do forget. We do. So we get overwhelmed. We get stressed. Sometimes our anxiety peaks and we just feel like, man, I haven't accomplished anything here. So it's great to have that brag sheet. The other thing is the power of I statement. So saying I, like I, I think this, or I did this, not saying we, Every time I do interview coaching, I get on every single person about this when they're talking about their work experience. They'll say, well, we did this project and we did this. And I'm like, look, who is we? Because we as an interviewing, it's you. So just getting Mm -hmm. comfortable with saying I. I know that we're taught in society that you should not brag. However, (laughs) you have to brag. I mean, it's just, it is what it is. You you have to brag. You have to show that confidence. Yeah. We just, we have to find our voice. Even, and I think we kind of get silent. You know, we're really excited when we start our careers in corporate, but then once mm-hmm. we realize that we're misunderstood or we say one thing and interpret it another way, you know, we kind of lose our confidence in speaking up. And so I would, you know, encourage all the listeners to start challenging yourself to speak up in meetings, you know, even if it's just saying two to three things, right? So those are the main things I would say there is the brag sheet, you know, the power of I statement the power of speaking up. The other thing I will say too is not apologizing. You know, uh, uh, for many women, you know, we will apologize when we speak up at meetings. Like we'll say, I'm sorry, I just had this one thing to say, or, you know, sorry, I don't want to go back, but don't say sorry, you know, don't apologize. You know what it is, you know, that you're, that you are talking about. 
And those are very great tips. One thing that we need to touch on is, so you have Bird Career Consulting, but we didn't tell the listeners what services you offer. So why don't we share that with them now? Yes. So uh, through Bird Career Consulting, we offer resume makeovers, LinkedIn makeovers, cover letter writing, interview coaching, and um, job search strategy coaching. I have a team of passionate professionals. We all love what we do. We love helping people find successful careers. And I also offer one-on-one career coaching, which I'll be launching my website, uh, LaticiaBird.com, to give more information about the coaching services that I do provide. We work through self-discovery. We work through career empowerment, confidence building, getting that clarity, getting that clarity on what it is that you want out of your life, getting clarity on what it is that you want to do setting a plan to get there, setting goals first, figuring out together what your plan will be, and then putting some tactical strategies in place for that you can then go out and land, you know, your dream job. So that's what my coaching is focused on. I also coach entrepreneurs. I do business coaching as well, focused on uh, strategy. So taking you from entrepreneur to actually business owner, you know, Some of us say we're entrepreneurs, but do we have revenue goals? Do we have operational goals? So um, what I do is I help my clients through strategy, real goals. And in terms of the self-discovery, we go through a few different exercises. One is creating a career brand identity. That is basically knowing how to articulate your story Um, in a way that shows that what you've already done and what you're currently doing is aligned with the career that you, that you will be pursuing in the future. You know, we'll enhance that. We'll go through that a few times and make sure that you're comfortable with really explaining that and clarifying on what your skill set is. We don't take the time to think through what are we actually good at? What do we enjoy doing? And then in terms of the, um, you know, other piece of the self-discovery also includes lifestyle. You know, what type of life do you want to live? Because sometimes these things can be negotiated for. Let's say you prefer to work from home. You know, you prefer to work remote. I have clients that work remote right now and they actually don't want to work remote anymore. They want to be around people where some of us don't want that, you know, and so or, you know, some people... I may want to travel. Others may not. They may have families. Um, also have them think through, do you want to be a sole contributor do you, or do you want to work in a team? Do you want to move up? Some of us don't want to be managers or we don't want to lead people because that is a, a challenging task. Yes. And that's perfectly okay. One thing that I've, I always harp on is your, your career is your career. It's not what, you know, your, your family or your friends think or say you should do. You know, I think we're at this day, this point in 2019, where our generation is really big on fulfillment and living our lives for us, not for others. So, you know, a lot of times we'll have our parents, and I won't even get started on my grandma, who still to this day doesn't understand <laughs> what it is that I do. But, you know, we'll have people that will say, you know what, you got a good job. What are you talking about? You can't leave that job. You can't do this. You you know, even when I wanted to move from accounting to recruiting, everyone was telling me not to. They said I was going to lose out on money, that I was going to be a glorified admin, 
that I just wasn't I wasn't going to be successful. And you kind of have to push past the naysayers. And the great thing about having a coach is that we're going to give you, I will give you an ob- objective opinion and I'm going to give you that support, encouragement and accountability. If you say like, I want to take over the world. Great. Well, we need to figure out how you're going to do that, when you're going to do it, what is it going to take for you to do that? Right. Uh, you know, putting a plan in, in place. So, um, so yeah, the self-discovery is focused on that. Also creating a career vision statement. So actually visualizing, but visualizing where you want your career to go and actually writing that down, printing it so you can see it up every day, kind of like a vision. You know, I think a lot of us do vision boards, similar to a vision board, but a vision statement. Um, right. So you can see that every day, um, as well as thinking about your um, desires in terms of um, what benefits do you want? What salaries do you want? Sometimes we're scared to say what salaries we want. <laughs> Why? You know, I mean, who doesn't want to sit here and say, you know what? I'm on a six figure salary. I will say that in a heartbeat. <laughs> good. No, that's good. Well, see, you know, some what I've seen is that money, wanting money is can be associated with greed. Two books that really changed my my life was the um, a millionaire, master of the millionaire mind, and uh, I mean the other book is losing my memory at this point. I don't want to say it was rich that poor that, although that was a great book. But sometimes if we want a lot of money, it can be associated with greed. But if you have a certain lifestyle that you want and a good, you want to having more money equates to a better quality of life for some. You know, a lot of us mm-hmm. have student debt that we need to that we need to pay off. I know we're all hoping that it will be forgiven <laughs> one day. But you know, one it's perfectly day. okay. Yeah, it's perfectly okay to make good money and also love what you do. And I have heard people that have told me, well, I can't I I don't I don't care about, you know, doing something that I'm passionate about or something that I love because I'm I'm making good money. But you can have it all. You really, really can. And that's probably one of the most important things that I want to always share with people is that you can have it all and you don't have to settle. And that is some great advice. I do want to uh, touch on a few more things before we end our conversation. I want to start with the negotiating piece and negotiating for a salary since we've kind of touched on that already. What are some tips that you have for my listeners in regards to negotiation when you do get to that final round and you get that offer and they give you the initial salary? I know my advice for people, and it might be wrong, is to never take the first offer for salary. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Don't say yes on the spot. (laughs) (laughs) Trust me. I am a former recruiter. Okay. I know how recruiters operate. They will try to get you to agree to a number right then and there especially when they call you and you've been searching for this job and you finally get that offer and they'll say, well, we're giving you this. What do you think? Mm, I would say, Hey, this, thank you so much for this offer. I'm extremely excited to consider this. I would like to see the full compensation package. Yeah. And I would like to talk it over with my family and ask them to, you know, take the time that you need, please take the time that you need you know, it's not, it's, it's really weird. I, I did have a client who had a company that wanted her to give them an, an answer the same day. Or like wow. they gave her an offer on Thursday and she mm-hmm. said she needed more time. And they told her, okay, we'll give you until Sunday. 
because her that process was so rough, she actually ended up turning it down. Sometimes oh. we don't with recruiting with recruiters or even these companies out here with these great brand names. You know, they kind of look at us like, especially people of color, like, oh, you should just be lucky we gave you this offer. Well, you know what? I got a whole lot of things that I bring to the table myself. And so, you know, we have to carry ourselves as such and demand our work. So one is definitely not accepting on the spot when it does come to salary. Think about what your current market value is. Don't let what your current or what your former salary is dictate what you could be making in your future role. You have to take into account your skills, your value, uh, your years of experience, your certification, your degrees. So take into account those things. Do your research. Glassdoor.com is one of my favorite websites to pull salary until Payscale is another one and salary.com. So seeing what the market is offering for that job title, uh, for that location, and looking at what it offers at other companies as well so you can make an informed decision. Know that you can negotiate for things outside of just that salary. You can negotiate for a signing bonus. You can negotiate for an annual bonus, whether that's based on your performance or based on the company's performance. Thinking about all of the other benefits you can negotiate for as well. I had a client in New York who actually got a parking um, or a transportation stipend every month that she negotiated for. Because we all know, like, trying to get to work in New York can be hell. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. um, you know, or, or even working in a city where you have to pay for parking, you know, seeing if your company can cover even little things like that. Um, negotiate for professional development budgets. I mean, you literally can negotiate for anything. So, and you have to write these things out and and know what you want um, so that you can ask. Now, when it comes to the ask, always, always, always ask for more. I had a client that called me yesterday and got a great job offer and they gave her a 20K sign and bonus. And I, you know, legit was like, okay, did they give you that first? Or if they said that number first, can you go back and ask for more? Like 20K signing bonus is good, like really, really good. But we lose, companies have money set aside for salary negotiation. It's really just another part of the process. So it's not something that we should shy away from. Uh, women, particularly women of color, negotiate at a significantly lower rate than white men. And white men will also negotiate when they don't even have half of the skills and experience that it is that we bring to the table. So again, that's why it is important to just ask the question. Once they put that offer out, that offer is out. Even if you ask for more, they can't say, oh, okay, you know what? You're doing too much. We're going to take this offer back. Like, that's just not how it works. Right. You ask, they can say yes, they can say no, they can try to work with you somewhere in the middle. Um, but just always, always, always ask. It never feels comfortable. I've done it before. And I remember actually when I got my recruiting position, I asked for a number. They said yes. And then I was like, shoot, I should have asked for more, you know? And so right. mm. when you think about that number that you want, always make sure you do ask for more. So there is room for them to kind of meet you at that number that you really, really want, if that makes sense. Yes. And speaking of numbers and working with people. So you've worked with quite a few clients that are in tech and they're in some of the bigger companies. What's been your experience of helping them get through the interview process and coaching them through their career? Uh, Man, I had a client who landed a great job at at Google 
<laughs> Google interviewing at Google is intense. I'm sure I've heard. Knows that. I mean, you're going to go through like eight interviews Ooh. and they even make you sign a disc. I'm, I don't even know if I should be saying this, but they even make you sign a disclosure. So, you know, you can't really share tidbits about the interview process. Um, <laughs> one thing that I, I definitely will help my clients with, not only with Google, I mean, when a client went through the interview process at LinkedIn, she had multiple rounds. I've actually had quite a few clients. I had two clients last week that were interviewing with LinkedIn as well. Um, you have to know how to answer behavioral-based questions. And um, you have to, and with that being said, you know, being able to speak from examples and things on your resume that you can tell a full story around about how you basically solved the day. You always want to be the hero. And you always want to speak to the results, making sure that you ask really great questions in the interview, the questions that you ask in an interview are just as important as the responses you give to questions in the interview. And you don't want to ask basic interview questions, mm. ask questions that have shown that you've done your research, whether it's something that you've read in the news, whether about a new initiative or a new market that they're trying to tackle, as well as asking questions to get to know the interviewer a bit more. Again, people hire people. And so Yes, you're qualified for the job. That's why they are interviewing you. But are you actually someone that they would want to work with every day on their team? So show personality. If you can turn the interview into a conversation, that's how you know the, the interview is going really well. And as you start to go through multiple rounds of the interviews as well, uh, use conversations and things you were told from your first round interviews and kind of develop questions based on that. So you can kind of already sound like, so so you will sound like you're hip to what's going on with the team. Like, oh, I talked to Susie or John or whoever. And mm-hmm. yeah, we talked about this thing. Just acting like you're a part of the team. <laughs> yes, that is so important. And I just want to wrap up our conversation around LinkedIn because you help with sprucing up clients' LinkedIn profiles. From your perspective, how important is LinkedIn and how important is your LinkedIn profile when it comes to getting jobs? Yeah, LinkedIn is extremely um, important nowadays for sure. I think when LinkedIn started 10 years ago, it was more so of a site where if you needed, needed a job, you would go on there, you know, apply to some jobs and that's it. But LinkedIn is a social networking platform, you know, so not only is it good for building an online presence, it's good for networking, especially if you're, let's say, wanting to move into a new company or move into a new industry or location. LinkedIn makes it very easy for you to, one, identify, um, you know, those people that you would like to network with. You can search people by job title, company, location, and you want to make sure your LinkedIn is set up. When I say set up, I mean, your LinkedIn should be complete. It should really articulate your skill set and your value, not just, it's much more than just having your job listed and that's it, but I actually taking time to build out a strong profile. It takes hours. I'll be honest with you. It does take hours. But once you really put in that time, all you have to do is make sure you're keeping it updated. So um, making sure you have a strong uh, photo, not a selfie, <laughs> not a selfie, but actually having a good quality headshot, investing in yourself and getting some headshots is important. Or maybe your company can pay for them. Um, having a cover photo, 
having an actual summary, um, and then with all of the jobs that you have listed on your profile, you want to include your responsibilities, projects you worked on, um, tools, you know, software that you use, because your profile should be optimized for keywords that will make sure that your profile shows up um, much quicker than someone else on LinkedIn. Recruiters, um, the numbers continue to go up, but I know at least 85% or even 90% of recruiters use LinkedIn to source for talent. So making sure that your profile is complete, optimized for keywords, um, will enhance and improve your chances of, one, recruiters reaching out to you, but recruiters actually reaching out to you for quality positions. And one thing with LinkedIn and resumes, which my clients will tell me, is kind of like the chicken and the egg, right? Which one should come first or which one comes first? Nowadays, people may find you on LinkedIn first, and then they may say, hey, send me your resume. So before, you know, they may get your resume and then look you up on LinkedIn. But I guarantee you that recruiters, hiring managers, people that you're actually going to be interviewing with in the process, because they want to know about you before you show up, they're going to be looking at your profile as well. And so having your LinkedIn updated is just as important as your resume. I would actually put a heavier emphasis on the LinkedIn. And from your experience, when you are working with clients, do you feel like you have to do a major LinkedIn overhaul? Or do you think that people have pretty good LinkedIn profiles? <laughs> it is definitely an overhaul. Definitely <laughs> a, yeah, yeah, definitely. And, 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 it, and honestly, <laughs> it's just one of those things where we don't like to brag, you know? Mm-hmm. And so... Right. What I focus on is the content of what you're saying and how you're saying that and how you articulating your value. Um, so yes, yes, a hundred, a hundred percent. Yeah, it's more than just copying and pasting your resume into your LinkedIn profile. Right. I think of it as a marketing tool. So you're marketing yourself to people who are trying to find you. So you want to make sure that you use LinkedIn in that way. Make it kind of what I call like fluff. And you make sure that people are seeing the great aspects that you can bring to a job. But LinkedIn, I feel like is such a secret weapon that we aren't fully Mm -hmm. utilizing. So I'm glad that you have that within your services. Now, I do have to ask, if there is one person that you've seen on LinkedIn where you're like, yo, their profile is like perfection. Like I even I strive to have that kind of profile. Have you come across one of those? (laughs) I spent a lot of time on, (laughs) I spent a lot of time on LinkedIn. And, you know, I don't want to sound like I, I, I literally was just talking about the importance of bragging, but like, I love my profile. Okay. Okay. So I everyone who's profile. listening knows that they need to go to Letitia's profile and see what she's working with so that you can transform your own profile to look similar to hers. That's what I'm hearing. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, <laughs> does that sound cocky? I don't want to be like, you know, no, not, see, but they're like, I'm the best person. <laughs> we're supposed to brag. It does not sound cocky at all. Even if we weren't, if we said we weren't supposed to brag, I would not think that was a cocky comment at all. You know, it's really interesting the times that we're in because um, there are even people that I look up to, like um, Oprah, you know, or Ariana Huffington, or, you know, these very well-known 
um, significant influential folks. And I go to their LinkedIn profiles and I'm like, dang, you know, they could have did a little bit more. They could have did a little bit more here. Um, so, yeah, you know, I've, I put a lot of time and effort into updating my LinkedIn. I, I update it just about every week. And um, every the week? other thing. Yeah, yeah. Every week, every week, whether it's asking for recommendations from a new client, updating if I've worked on a new project or have a new, um, you know, organization that I'm speaking with, going in and updating that. But constantly just kind of seeing what the market is, is, is looking for and updating it accordingly. Okay. That's good to know. So it sounds like we all need to start looking at updating more often because I feel like people don't really take the time to update their LinkedIn that often, but now even I'm going to go back and look at mine and say, okay, wait a minute, what do I need to update? One more question that I have in regards to LinkedIn. So let's say that you are working at a company and you have a side hustle. Do you recommend that people put their side hustle on the LinkedIn profile? (laughs) I get that question a lot. So it's a, it's a fine line, you know, if you feel comfortable with having a conversation with, with, with management about your side hustle, then you will likely need to do that before you throw your business on your profile. But do I think that it is important? Absolutely, because you can use LinkedIn to actually get clients. It's great for business development. It's great for building an online presence and, and branding. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes if you have a, your, a site hustle that actually may help your company with this branding or it's aligned with what you're doing there or it's no conflict of interest, then um, I would, you know, definitely recommend adding that. But that does depend on your comfortability level and, you know, making sure that there aren't any issues. I'm the type of person where I'm pretty radical. um, So I would, I'm always the ask for forgiveness instead of permission type. But I do know that some of us aren't that comfortable with doing that. So just make sure that you kind of do, you know, CYA on that first before adding it. There is a thing called LinkedIn Profinder where it's a freelance site directly on LinkedIn, kind of like a Fiverr or an Upwork.com where people are looking for freelance professionals. They're looking for um, photographers or copywriters. Um, they're looking for IT, you know, uh, anything tech related. So if you want to become a, you know, a freelancer on this, you will need to add that your business page to your profile. Okay, understood. So I do want to give you an opportunity. Is there anything else that you would like to tell my listeners before we sign off? You know, I just want to thank you, you know, really thank you for your platform and for just opening, uh, creating a safe space to have this type of dialogue that a lot of us can't really speak up about, you know, in the workplace about some of the things that we go through, um, you know, primarily in the tech world. Um, So I just want to say thank you for that. And if you are, you know, working with um, an organization that does provide uh, coaching or professional development to its employees, uh, please reach out to me um, or even for uh, lunch and learns or for workshops, um, for coming and speaking to your ERGs. Definitely reach out to me. I would love to get connected and I um, also will 
have a few slots available for coaching um, coming up. Please stay tuned, subscribe to the newsletter, and just stay in touch. I would love, love, love to hear from you all. So again, thank you so much. And thank you for sharing all the tips and advice that my listeners should be putting into action. (laughs) Thanks for listening to Black Tech Unplugged. I'm Dina McKay, and you can find the podcast at Black Tech Unplugged on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. I also want to mention that Letitia has a free masterclass coming up on September 19th and September 21st. The topic is salary negotiation for women. So all my ladies who are trying to up their coin this year, make sure you go to the full show notes at blacktechunplugged.com and sign up for the masterclass. Again, it's free and you don't want to miss out. Lastly, if you haven't already, please go subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or however you're listening to the episodes. If you have a few extra minutes, make sure to leave a five-star review too. It would help me out a lot and help other people find the podcast. Until next.